Well, as a church, we've been we've been walking through this season of Advent, and as as we've been walking through this season, we've been looking at who Jesus really is. More than a teacher, more than a man, Jesus is the Christ, and the the Christ is a title which means anointed one. And in Greek, the the word Christ is simply the translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. We've we've said this over and over again, and the New Testament insists that we understand that um, Jesus is the expectation of the Hebrew Bible, what is what is called the Old Testament, and that all of this expectation in the Hebrew Bible points to and is fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah. So we've been looking at, at the way that Jesus fulfills three primary roles in ancient Israel that were marked by anointing. These were uh, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. All of these were anointed with oil, and uh, which set them apart as God's tools for leading his people. So Jesus, as the anointed one, as the Christ, he reflects and fulfills each of these offices or roles of prophet, priest, and king. And we looked last week at how Jesus fulfilled the expectation of a prophet who would come, like Moses, after the pattern of Moses. But instead of carrying the word of God, having the word of God on his tongue given to him, Jesus was himself the word, and he spoke the words of God as God himself. He was a better and more magnificent, the final prophet in many ways. And so this week, we come to look at Jesus as our great high priest. And to, to do this, will be in the book of Hebrews and in chapter 10. This book of Hebrews can be summarized with the phrase, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels in chapter 1. He's better than Moses in chapter 3 and better than Joshua in chapter 4. This theme runs throughout the whole letter. But one specific theme that runs throughout this book and is picked up in multiple places is that Jesus is a better priest. And as a better and perfect priest, he offers a better and perfect sacrifice. We could have looked at a number of places in this book. We could look at chapter 4, chapter 7, but I chose chapter 10 and starting in verse 11 because this is really the, the culmination, the, the climax, the very peak of the picture of Jesus in Hebrews as our great high priest. So today as we, as we come to the word, I, I want to read this text starting in verse 11. I want to read it, I want to explain it, and then apply it to our lives. This is how the Bible changes us, by study, by interpretation, and by application. This is the word of God to us, and there is nothing more powerful in the life of a Christian who is indwelt by the Spirit than the Bible, which the Spirit breathed out. This is God's word, written for our benefit. These words are the very breath of God, written by Men and women, the Bible says, as they were led by the Holy Spirit, pushed along like a boat is, is pushed by the wind. This is what the Spirit of God said in ancient times. And as, as the Word of God, it continues to have meaning for us today. So would you turn with me to, to Hebrews chapter 11, like I said, I'll, or sorry, chapter 10, and I'll be starting in verse 11 uh, and reading through uh, verse 14, and then I'll pick it up again in verse 19 through 25. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Would you hear the word of the Lord today? 
Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time on until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And now in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his, his flesh, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, or a consciousness of evil, and, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. So the truths in our passage today are, are, are deep truths. It would be easy to spend weeks unpacking the, the depth and the importance of these words, but we have just this once in our series to discuss the ministry of Jesus as the great high priest. So we might be missing many of the, the finer details while trying to capture the larger story. But if we capture this larger story, it will capture our hearts and our lives and will transform us into the image of Christ. The whole idea of this passage really is that Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice to give us a perfect hope. Perfect sacrifice and perfect hope. Let's look at, at each of these two things in turn. So first is Jesus' perfect sacrifice. This is verses 11 through 14. Um, but to understand the, the sacrifice of Jesus or his work as our priest, we have to understand a little bit more about the priesthood in the Old Testament. Because our, our religion today doesn't really have priests and sacrifices and blood and altars. So I'm just going to take a, a quick look at that. So one of the most important, if not the most important events in Israel's annual calendar was called the Day of Atonement. And this, this day was a, a yearly practice where the high priest, just one person, would enter the very center of the temple, the holy place, to make atonement for the whole nation of Israel. Atonement very simply means at-one-ment. So for the, the priest to make at-one-ment for the people means that the relationship between God and the people was restored. Where they, they were separated, they are brought back together. They are made one again. The priest makes atonement for the people. And the, this, this restoration of relationship, this came in, in two parts. First, by the, rem, the removal of sin. And second, by the, the payment for sin. And both of these involved sacrifices. During this day, the, the high priest would offer this sacrifice, which you can read about yourself. Just go to Leviticus chapter 16. The priest would enter the, the holy of holies, the, the innermost 
part of the temple, and there he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God dwelt in the midst of his people. So once a year, with one sacrifice, all of the sins of Israel were covered. All of the sins that were not already taken care of, all the sins that were committed um, and were forgotten and not sacrificed for, everything that their religious system missed, God provided a way to take care of all of these sins. One priest on one day for all of the people of Israel. So as, as an ancient Israelite, when, when the Day of Atonement comes, you, you can imagine the weight that is just lifted off your shoulders. As all the sins that you are unaware of, all the wrongs that you forgot to right, everything, it was all taken care of on this day. It was a very solemn day, but it was also a day that, that must have brought a great sense of relief as the sins of the people were, were taken care of and this relationship with God himself was restored. But what about the next day? You know, that, that quick flash of, of anger or lust or the, the split second you feel of, of envy for something that's not yours. For these things to be dealt with, you had to offer another sacrifice. Or if you, you forgot about it, you had to wait another year until the Day of Atonement could, could make you right with God again. And these things might, might seem small, but they would begin to weigh on your conscience like a few grains of sand trickling into a scale that eventually became too heavy to carry. Well, in, in the book of Hebrews that we're reading, actually just at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1, the writer mentions how even this Day of Atonement could never fully cleanse the people who benefit from it. He says this in verse 1. He says, For since the law has, has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it, that is the law, can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, perfect those who draw near. So this sacrifice and the author says, uh, the one authored, uh, offered every year, that's the Day of Atonement. If it really worked, he says, there would be no need for it to be offered again and again and again and again. Even this great Day of Atonement itself is just a shadow of the things to come. You see, the, the Day of Atonement just served to show Israel their need for uh, reconciliation. It, it, it was a reminder of their sin. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying at the beginning of our chapter today. But since this is a, a New Testament book, we might be accused of um, throwing away what the Old Testament says on its own terms. You know, reading, reading something back into the Old Testament that wasn't there in the first place. Well, that, that might be something someone can say, except that the Old Testament itself points to the inability, the, the failure of these sacrifices to please God. There, there are a number of places we could go, but one in particular, uh, Psalm 51 says it really well. This is uh, King David in Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17. He says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Why does David say this? 
Why, why does he say that God would prefer humility over sacrifice? This is something Jesus himself loved to quote to the Pharisees. He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, quoting the Old Testament prophets. So why does David say this? Well, the, the, the most um, obvious reason is that the law called the, the Torah and the, the sacrifices in the law were never meant to be the end of the discussion. The word Torah normally translated as law in our Bibles, it, it means first and foremost instruction. The sacrifices given by the law, all the rules and the regulations and books like Leviticus and Number, all of these things were meant to teach Israel about their holy God and how to live as his holy people. The law was given to teach us, not to trap us. So even if uh, the sacrifices in the Old Testament were not enough in themselves, what did they, what did they point to? This event, the Day of Atonement, if it was never meant to be the end of the discussion, what, what does it signify? What, what does it point to that's coming down the line? Well, this is where our text for today comes in. And there are, there are no words better to describe how the Old Testament sacrifices point to the Messiah than what's already in Scripture. We could go to Isaiah 53 or, or other places, uh, 1 Peter 2, but here in, in Hebrews 10, verse 11, the author says this. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, the, the sacrifices under the covenant given at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament had to be offered repeatedly. But Jesus offered just the one perfect sacrifice. The priest under this Old Covenant, they, uh, the author says, they stand at the altar. But Jesus has taken his seat next to God. You see, he was what the sacrifices and the service in the Old Testament pointed to. The one sacrifice of Jesus shows that the results of that sacrifice, everything that comes from it, they are eternal. They are infinite, never-ending. There is no amount of sin that his blood cannot cleanse. There is no one beyond this sacrifice. The greatest price has been paid. The greatest sacrifice has been given. So when, when you sin, don't doubt that... that uh, Excuse me, the, the greatest price has been paid. The greatest sacrifice has been given. So how dare we doubt that the weight of our sin could somehow overcome the glory of Christ's sacrifice? How dare we assume that the weight of our sin could somehow overcome the glory of Christ's sacrifice? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was made perfectly, and it covers us completely. It was perfect and perfectly effective. Again, we could spend weeks just scratching the surface of these truths. And I would encourage you to take time this week and, and to reflect on, on the fullness of Christ's sacrifice for you. Read and reread this book of Hebrews and, and let the greatness of Christ and his work on our behalf mold your mind and emotions. As we come toward Christmas, we need to remember the reason why Christ came. This young and precious child was born so that one day he might bring us all to glory. He might give us all rest. 
It is not simply, uh, the, the Christmas story is not simply a story about Mary and Joseph and angels and shepherds. This is a season that we remember the weight of expectation as the whole world anticipates this Messiah. And he, Jesus, came into the world to bring us back to God. We had gone astray like sheep, and Jesus, the good shepherd, came into the world to lead us into everlasting life. So we've looked at the, the background for this passage, and we've seen that the priestly work of Jesus in offering himself as the perfect and final sacrifice is what the Old Testament priests and sacrifices pointed forward to in the first place. But what does this mean for us? How can we take this truth into Monday and throughout the rest of the week? How do we translate ourselves from our, our Sunday service into people who carry this truth every day? Well, the, the writer of Hebrews actually does this for us. He moves from this perfect sacrifice of Jesus to the perfect hope that this sacrifice creates in us. And the way he moves from this perfect sacrifice to our perfect hope is by giving us points of application. He gives us three of these, three things that we are to pursue as Christians who have been covered by the blood of Christ. Three things are proximity, perseverance, and prompting. First, proximity to God. Second, perseverance of our hope and faith. And third, prompting one another so that we might grow together in Christ as his body. So let's close by briefly looking at each of these together. The first is proximity. And now we're moving into verse 21 and 22, which says this, because we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We often do not understand the full weight of this. We are welcomed into a fellowship with God that until Christ was simply impossible. Remember that once a year, only the high priest, one person, would go into the most holy place in the temple. Once a year, for a single task, this priest was allowed into the presence of God. Now, however, Jesus has made a new and living way. Verse 19 says that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. The only way this is possible is because of the once and for all time sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. Before we were, we were outside the temple, we were outside the holy places, and we needed someone to bring us to God. But now Jesus has made the perfect sacrifice, which has cleansed us so perfectly that we are told to draw near as priests ourselves to serve God with sacrifice, and to, to offer prayers for ourselves and for this fallen world, reflecting the office of Christ as priest, as priests of God ourselves. First Peter calls us a, a royal nation and a holy priesthood. You are a priest of God. So bring your neighbors to God in prayer. Bring your family to God in prayer. Bring this nation to God in prayer. Serve as someone who stands between a holy God and a fallen world in prayer. Live, live your lives, give your lives as a sacrifice to God, standing as a, as a priest does, clothed in, in, in the robes of Christ, standing on the finished work of Christ, but fulfill this office of, of priesthood. You know, the, this doctrine is called the priesthood of all believers. Each and every one of us is given the task of reflecting Christ 
in this way. So draw near. The first thing we do is, is close the gap between us and God, which Jesus has already done. And we draw near to him. This is proximity. Second, uh, the The second thing we, we need is, is perseverance. This is verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The hope that we have is strong because Jesus offered only one sacrifice for all sin. Do you remember what the problem with the Old Testament sacrifices that the writer of this letter pointed out? Do you remember what the problems were? In, in verses 1 and 2, he says that the Old Testament sacrifices never completed the work that they started. started. They never perfected the people they had been offered for. They had to be offered year after year. And instead of being a source of freedom from sin, they were a reminder of it. If these sacrifices had finished the work they started, back in, in verse 2, the writer asks, would, would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? since the worshiper would no longer have any consciousness of sins. So if, if these sacrifices were offered over and over again, they, they were a reminder that sin had not yet been fully done away with. Because if, if sin had been done away with, there would have been no, no guilty conscience, no, no knowledge of sin weighing down on the people that, that forced them to return to offer these sacrifices. So they had to be offered continually. But the work of Christ was offered once. And is, is so perfect and final that in verse 22, the writer calls us to draw near with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And that, that phrase evil conscience could, could easily be translated consciousness of evil. Just like in verse 2, uh, it was translated a, a consciousness of sin. So here we are told to, to draw near with, with a hearts that are sprinkled clean from this awareness of sin because our sin has been dealt with. The, the repeated sacrifice in the Old Testament, it, it brought about knowledge of sin. But Christ's single sacrifice has taken away our sin once and for all. There is no longer any sin that stains us. And although we live new lives as lives of repentance and coming before God, when, when we fail to live perfectly, this same sacrifice covers us. We don't need a new one. In Christ, we are made perfect because an infinite price has been paid. Your sins are like grains of sand in the ocean of Christ's redemption. They cannot overcome the value of Christ's life offered for you. Our hope perseveres because we rest on the finished work of Christ for us. You want to know how you can hold fast the confession? Do you want to know how you can hold fast your hope without wavering? without guessing whether or not uh, you, you will somehow be good enough to make it into heaven, to have enough faith to make it into heaven. The Bible says you have it, you have it backwards. We hold our confession without wavering, not because we can bring something to God, because, but because God has come all the way to us. Jesus doesn't meet us halfway on this road to redemption. He drives to where we are, he picks us up, and then he brings us back to God. We are sheep that have gone astray, and he, as the good shepherd, has come and sought us out, picked us up, and carried us back into the fold of God. So first, we have, we have access. 
to proximity to God the Father by going through Christ, who worked on our behalf. Second, we have a hope that perseveres without wavering because of Christ's work accomplished for us. Thirdly, and finally, we are encouraged to prompt one another. So proximity, perseverance, and prompting. This is what verse 24 says. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. You know, this is one of the the primary reasons that in-person relationship is so essential to the church. And this just it, this doesn't just have to happen on, on Sundays. You know, many, many churches, um, many Baptist churches in the Union are, are rethinking what it means uh, for Sundays to be um, our church gathering. And, you know, un- unfortunately, many of them are moving away from Sundays and, and large church gatherings as, as the, the main event of the week. We are not called to only come and, and see one another once a week. And so the, the push from many churches to make the, the Christian life and the Christian gathering more, uh, more relational, more organic, it comes from a good desire to live this out, to stir one another up, to love and to good works, to not, not neglect to see one another. But... <clears throat> So this is one of the primary reasons that in-person relationship is so essential to the church. And this tells us at least two things about us as Christians. First, we cannot do this alone. We are called to stir one another up, the text says. And there have been many times in the last few months that I have been encouraged just from visiting one of you or, or talking to one of you on the phone. How many of you during this lockdown have found that a personal visit or phone call has brightened your spirits and given you motivation to live the Christian life with more passion, with more strength, and with more hope. So the first thing we learn from this is we cannot do this Christian life alone. We are called members of a body, and no no body part exists apart from the body. If, if you cut off a finger, it will die. Do not cut yourself off from other Christians but love one another, build one another up. And this brings us to our second point. Secondly, our our speech and our manner of life towards one another ought to be to build each other up. We do not stir one another up to good works by assigning them to somebody else, but rather by so reflecting Christ, his love, his grace, his mercy, his righteousness, his justice, his care, we, we stir one another up to good works by so reflecting Christ that those around us are stirred to follow him, not us. So the way that we move from the perfect sacrifice of Christ to having a perfect hope is, is threefold. There are three things, by, by proximity, by perseverance in hope, and by prompting one another to live as Christ did. The Old Testament expectation was that a day would come when there was no need for sacrifice any longer, where there would be a a final and complete forgiveness of sin and reconciliation between God and man. Jesus came not just teaching, not just as a, a moral example to follow, but as the fulfillment of all of this, of the whole 
Old Testament. Jesus is our great high priest. He has offered a perfect and eternal sacrifice once and for all. He is our great high priest. It is only through him that we can be made right with God. If you have not yet recognized your need to rely on the work of Jesus, to make you right with God, to restore your relationship with him, consider the lengths that Christ went for you. His death on the cross was not in vain. It was the only way. So examine yourself if you've not yet recognized this. Examine yourself in the light of scripture and know that we are, we are all in need of being made right with God. We are all in need of the at-one-ment, the atonement that Jesus makes for us. And there is only one way to get there. There is only one mediator between God and man, the Bible says. It is the man, Christ Jesus. But if you have already trusted in the work of Christ for you, then rejoice again hearing what lengths he has gone to secure your salvation. Rejoice knowing that his sacrifice once and for all has dealt with all of your sins. There is nothing that can separate you from him if you have trusted him with saving faith. Because as as the writer of Hebrews says, the one who called us is faithful. He will bring to completion the work that he has begun in us. He will not let one of his sheep be torn apart by the wolves. He, uh, the master builder, is building his church, and nothing, not even hell itself, can stand against us who are covered by the blood of Christ. Take heart, Christian, in the sufficiency of Christ for you, in the all-satisfying one who has worked so great a salvation for us. Jesus is the one who has come as the Messiah, as the anointed priest who has taken away the sins of the world with his own sacrifice. Let us now, in in humble and gracious response, offer our own lives as living sacrifices to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we are so grateful for your sacrifice on our behalf. God sending your Son to die. Lord, to to take away our sin, to to remove it out of your sight, but also to to pay the debt that we had built up. Lord, like the the story that, that Jesus told, we owed you a debt that we could never pay. Money that that if we worked every day for the rest of our lives, we would barely work off a percentage of the interest. But Lord, you have paid the price. You have canceled this debt and you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. Lord, would you let us live in this kingdom of light as shining beacons of your grace and your truth, your mercy, your forgiveness, your righteousness. God, we we thank you for the, the sheer effectiveness the perfection, the infinite nature of Christ's sacrifice for us. That we can walk forward with hearts that are sprinkled clean of a, of a, a sinful, dirty conscience, 
because the blood of Christ is so effective for us. Lord, would you would you give us grace? Stir stir us up to to visit one another, to love one another, to speak the truth in love to one another so that we might stir each other up to love and good works. Lord, we ask that you would make a way for us to to be able to gather. Lord, I ask for peace in this church. I ask that you would remind each and every one of us of this sin that leads us to to want to promote ourselves. Lord, protect us from ourselves. Protect us from division. Protect us from the enemy who wants to, um, Lord, who, who wants to destroy your church. God, would you remind us that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. Remind us of the blood of Christ that has covered us from our sin so that we can draw near to you. And Lord, let us let us not neglect to gather together, but in, in twos or threes or tens or uh, whatever number, Lord, would you stir us up to gather together, to love one another in, in each other's homes? Lord, soon in our, in our gathered worship, would you stir us up to meet together so that we might encourage one another to live lives of love and good works? Help us to reflect Jesus Christ, who is our, our prophet and our priest and our king. Would you, would you give us your words to speak? Would you stir us up to, to live lives of sacrifice to you and to offer prayers to you on behalf of other people, to stand between you and those who don't know you, between you and this world that is in such desperate need of you? And Lord, would you teach us what it means to, to reign here on earth as those who bear your image, as those who have been uh, conformed into the image of your son day by day? Would you teach us to reign as Christ reigns? God, in all things, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for your sacrifice, and the lengths you've gone to draw us back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.